Welcome to Stand Our Ground. I'm your host, Kaya, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to join me as I investigate the murder of my cousin, Deanna Stevenson. This podcast does discuss domestic violence and includes events and descriptions that some listeners may find triggering, so please listen with caution. If you need to talk with someone about the content of this podcast or something that it brings up for you, please call 988 in the United States to reach the Mental Health Crisis Line or text HOME to 741-741. As a reminder, all individuals discussed in this podcast are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Today on Stand Our Ground, we're going to be talking about Florida's controversial Stand Your Ground law, the changes that were made to it on June 9th, 2017, whether or not Amy and Megan Plunkett had a duty to retreat, and how this law affects Deanna Stevenson's case. Now, before we get started, I did want to give a brief shout out to the Phantom Electric Ghost podcast, uh, which had me as a guest on November 24th to talk about mental health and allowed me to plug our little podcast here. Um, So if you'd like to check that out, you can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I'll also try and put the link in the episode description. If you are a fellow podcaster and you're interested in having me on your show to talk about this case or anything else, please feel free to hit me up. Our email is standourgroundpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to talk to you and I'd love to get some more exposure for Tiana's case. If you're not a podcaster, but you have a favorite true crime podcast, please recommend that they cover Deanna's case. You can send them a link to this podcast, which they can use for research, and they're welcome to reach out to me to get more information. All right, with that said, let's dive into the legal stuff. Now, in addition to the actual Florida statutes, um, both the one from before it was changed and after it was changed, um, I'm going to be using three news sources to help us get a better understanding of this law, how things have progressed with it, and how it might affect Deanna's case, as well as kind of the um, intricacies of it. I'm going to link those in the episode description for you so that you can check them out if you'd like. Um, they are from the Tampa Bay Times, written by Josh Solomon and Catherine Varn. The article titled, Florida Supreme Court Rules 2017 Stand Your Ground Law Change is Not Retroactive. From News Press by Rachel Thomas. The What is Florida Stand Your Ground Law? Here are five questions and answers to explain article. Um, And then the third article is actually from a law office, the law offices of Robert David, excuse me, Robert David Malove, um, and that is titled Recent Changes to the Florida Standard Ground Law. So we are going to try to make sense of all of this, but let me start by reading you the statute as it was on June 8th, 2017, and the statute as it was on June 9th, 2017. Because remember, Deanna was killed the morning of June 8th, 2017. And at the time that she was killed, the understanding was that the law change, which would take place on June 9th, would also be retroactively applied to any cases that were pending in the criminal justice system or had not reached the criminal justice system. So that would mean, essentially, if if someone's following that, that Deanna's case would be pursued under the changes to the stand your ground law. Okay, so as of June 8th, 2017, 
Florida Statute 776.012 on use or threatened use of force in defense of person, read, 1. A person is justified in using or threatening to use force, except deadly force, against another when and to the extent that the person reasonably believes that such conduct is necessary to defend himself or herself or another against the other's imminent use of unlawful force. A person who uses or threatens to use force in accordance with this subsection does not have a duty to retreat before using or threatening to use such force. 2. A person is justified in using or threatening to use deadly force if he or she reasonably believes that using or threatening to use such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself or another, or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. A person who uses or threatens to use deadly force in accordance with this subsection does not have a duty to retreat and has the right to stand his or her ground if the person using or threatening to use the deadly force is not engaged in a criminal activity and is in a place where he or she has a right to be. So before we move on to the changes in the law, let's go ahead and digest that a little bit. So there's a few um, pieces of terminology that I want to make sure that we understand. So the first is duty to retreat. So duty to retreat is something that is seen in some states. Um, these are called kind of castle doctrine laws. So in some states, the self-defense or castle doctrine law requires a duty to retreat. And a duty to retreat is this idea that if you're being threatened, if you you know feel your life is being threatened, you have to make some sort of attempt to escape from the situation before you use that deadly force. Um According to that news press article, that is the situation in about half of U.S. states. Um, but as this law states, not the case in Florida. In Florida, there is no duty to retreat in either situation discussed in the law. Um, now, it also talks about when we're talking about that use of deadly force, um, that that is permitted if the person believes that using such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm or the commission of a forcible felony. So let's talk briefly about what a forcible felony is. So a forcible felony is obviously a felony, right? Um, a criminal act that is a felony according to the state statute and the forcible part comes from it using physical force. So we're thinking of things like murder, arson, kidnapping, armed robbery, and rape. So that would be a forcible felony. So in any of those situations, you are permitted to use deadly force in Florida. Um, the last part of this law that I want to make sure that we look at is they say the person has the right to stand their ground as long as they are not engaged in, in a criminal activity. So if you're robbing someone's house, you don't have the right to then stand your ground um, while in the commission of that crime. If you're in the process of, you know, I guess, um, cooking, cooking meth or something like that. Um, the other thing is you have to be in a place where you have a legal right to be. So it has to be your property. Um, now, initially, when I was reading this, I was wondering because... Technically, according to the lease, Amy and Megan Plunkett weren't really supposed to be at the apartments. However, they were there as guests as Ollie Jane Plunkett. So they do have a legal right to be there, even if it's not necessarily according to the contract. They're not trespassing. Um, they're not there against the will of the owner. So that would not negate the use of deadly force in this situation, regardless of whether or not it was Ollie Jane who shot the gun. 
Now, the next Florida statute that applies to this case is immediately following the one we just talked about. That's 776.013, which deals with home protection. And I'm not going to read the entire thing to you because it's pretty lengthy, but I am going to go through it. So again, you know, they're allowed to use um, deadly force uh, or rather defensive force is one of the ways it's referred to as here, but use or threatened use of deadly force um, if they perceive death or great bodily harm to another if the following conditions are met. First, the person against whom the defensive force was used or threatened was in the process of unlawfully and forcefully entering or had unlawfully and forcibly entered a dwelling, residence, or occupied vehicle, or if that person had removed or was attempting to remove another against that person's will from the dwelling, residence, or occupied vehicle, and... The person who uses or threatens to use defensive force knew or had reason to believe that an unlawful and forcible entry or unlawful and forcible act was occurring or had occurred. Now, remember, one of the things that said over and over again in those interviews is that Deanna was trying to take Megan out of the house, which I didn't even realize was part of this law, um, which makes it interesting to me then that that's said over and over again. Um just feels like parts of that law are being very specifically kind of remembered and uh, prepared for. Um, but that's also my cynical side. So the law goes on to say that the presumption set forth in subsection one, that's the part I just read to you, does not apply if A, the person against whom the defensive force is used or threatened has the right to be in or is a lawful resident of the dwelling residence whatever, and there is not an injunction for protection from domestic violence or a written pretrial supervision order of no contact against that person. Essentially what that means is had this situation happened at the house that Deanna and Megan had bought after, for example, the restraining order had been dismissed, it would not have been legal. So it would have had to happen somewhere that Deanna did not have legal rights to. Um, it also says if the person or person sought to be removed is under the legal guardianship of someone that doesn't apply here. Um, if the person who uses or threatens to use defensive force and is engaged in a criminal activity or is using the dwelling residence or occupied vehicle to further a criminal activity, um, that would, you know, obviously if Deanna was lured there, multiple parts of this would be removed, but this would be one of them. And then subsection three just restates for the defense of property that there is no duty to retreat. Now, if we go down a little bit further in this chapter to statute 776.041, it does tell us that the justification described is not available to anyone who initially provokes the use or threatened use of force against himself or herself. Um, we also see that if someone tries to withdraw and terminate the use of threatened use, but the assailant continues or resumes the use of threatened force, that then they are not permitted to use this defense. So what that means to me is two things. First, if Deanna showed up and was not behaving aggressively, but the aggressive behavior was kind of spurred on by someone in that apartment, then this defense would not apply. Second, if Deanna was trying to retreat from the situation, this defense would not apply. But remember that the new law had already been passed and the change was to take effect on June 9th, 2017. And at the time, we believed that all new cases would be subject to its rule. And actually, what the Florida Supreme Court ended up ruling was that any cases that had not conducted a stand-your-ground hearing 
before the 2017 rule change took effect or conducted it after the 2017 rule change took effect were subject to this new law. So the old version of Stand Your Ground does not apply to this case. Deanna was killed literally just in time for the new case to apply to her. Is that coincidence? It very well may be. But there's a lot of coincidences. So with that said, let's talk about what changed when the law change took effect. So just to be clear, the sections that I read you, 776.012 and 776.013, really didn't change at all. What changed was section 776.032, which deals with whether or not someone can be criminally prosecuted or have civil action taken against them if the use of force is justified. And what happened was a fourth section was added. Okay, so let me back up before I read you the fourth section. So according to the Robert David Malove um, Law Office article, essentially what happens is that, you know, and, and according to the law as well, I'm kind of combining these sources, um, but essentially if someone has possibly defended themselves and the use of force is defensible via the statue, then they have immunity from arrest being detained in custody, and being charged or being prosecuted. So what that means is that the police cannot arrest them for Deanna's shooting. They can't keep them in custody for it, and they can't charge them unless what they have to do, if they believe that it may not um, potentially have been stand your ground, but there's a, but you know, that's being alleged. What they have to do is have an evidentiary hearing. Now, this would be a pretrial hearing, okay? So it doesn't mean you're starting a court case completely. Um, but they'd have an evidentiary hearing to figure out the, quote, factual question, end quote, of whether or not that immunity could be applied according to the statute. So here's what changed. So let me read you this section four that was added. So section four states... In a criminal prosecution, once a prima facie claim of self-defense immunity from criminal prosecution has been raised by the defendant at a pre-trial immunity hearing, the burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence is on the party seeking to overcome the immunity from criminal prosecution provided in subsection 1. So what that means is before, on June 8, 2017, the burden of proof was on the defense to prove that their use of force was justified as self-defense. As of June 9th, 2017, the burden of proof was on the prosecution or the state who was trying to prove that the defendant did not act in self-defense. So that means that it's always going to be harder for a case in which the defendant can try and claim that their use of force was reasonable via self-defense it is going to be easier for them to get off now that the law has changed. Because that is the change that was taking place in the law, because it was known that it was about to become easier for somebody to claim self-defense in a shooting where someone was killed, because that law change happened the day after Deanna was killed, because it was already known to happen, and because it was known that this rule would be applied to new cases. That is why some people are very suspicious of the timing of this. 
Um, let's also keep in mind the expense to the state of having any sort of hearing, a pretrial evidentiary hearing included. If they don't feel confident that they are going to win it, it's kind of a waste of money and resources for them. Um, so that just gives even more likelihood that the state won't even pursue trying to have an evidentiary hearing because they may lose it and then they've wasted time, resources, and taxpayer money. So that just makes the likelihood that you're not going to end up charged for a crime like this even higher. I do want to just bring us back around really quickly, though, to the two parts where this defense would not apply, which is one, if the aggressor, let me find exactly what it says really quickly. If the aggressor initially provokes the use or threatened use of force against himself or herself. Okay, so if Deanna showed up to the house, knocked on the door, asked something, and Amy hit her, then this no longer applies. It also doesn't apply if Deanna was retreating. Now, if you recall, Deanna was shot in the back. <sighs> Sorry. Um, Deanna was shot in the back multiple times. Um, there's always been a question of whether or not she was reti- retreating when she was shot. Um, obviously we don't have any photos or video of exactly what happened when the crime occurred, but it's worth noting that the claim is that Deanna had forced her way into the apartment, but when she was shot, she was on the porch and her back was facing the door. Now, the claim made by Amy and Megan and Ollie Jane Plunkett is that that's because Deanna was choking Amy. Um, But we're going to talk more about in an upcoming episode, hopefully the next episode, actually. We're going to talk more about how the bullet casing pattern does not match that story. Um, And if... If Deanna was trying to walk away from the apartment and she was shot anyways, then self-defense does not apply here according to Florida state law. Also, Ollie Jane says that she shot a warning shot, which is not even required, right? You're not even required to shoot a warning shot under this law. Not required. Okay, but she says she shot a warning shot. There are a total of four shots. Two of those bullets... Two of those bullets were still in Deanna's body when her autopsy happened. One of them had passed through the storage door and was lodged in a wall of the storage closet. I have no idea where the fourth one is. Which one was the warning shot? Well, that's it for us this week. Um, I did want to leave off with a couple of announcements. Um, First, coming up soon, I'm not sure what date it'll be released on, but it'll keep you up to date. Um, I'm going to be uh, guest appearing on the podcast Living the Dream with Curveball. Um, So I'll get you the information where you can listen to that if you're interested. Um, Second, I hopefully have some really good news coming up for you soon about... um, coverage of Deanna's case. Um, So we're really, really excited about that. So please stay tuned. Please continue listening, subscribing, 
sharing. Um, if you haven't already, please rate us, leave a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. If you're in some sort of podcast group, please let people know about us, you know, sneak us into your conversations at work, you know, anything to help get Deanna's name out there. Um, I am going to put a poll underneath this episode because I'm thinking about getting some uh, merch to help more uh, visibility for the case. So if that's something that you would be interested in um, us pursuing, please let me know in that poll down below. Uh, also, yeah, on that note, on all of our episodes, there is either a poll or a question answer response. So if you haven't been doing those, make sure to look for those. It's a great way to stay a part of the conversation. You can find us on our Facebook account, and I'm trying to be more active on Facebook and TikTok. So check us out there. As always, if you'd like to contact me, you can do so by email at standourgroundpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you know anybody who might know something that would help the case, and they're not listening to the podcast, please encourage them to reach out to me. All right, uh, here's Deanna and our outro message. Here's to you, here's to me, friends and family, so always be whichever disagree, fuck you, and here's to me. Hey! Stand Our Ground is written and produced by Kaya Penfield. Our theme music is Lifelike by Alexi Action Background Music. You can find us on social media by going to at Stand Our Ground on TikTok or searching Stand Our Ground Podcast on Facebook. You can also email us at standourgroundpodcast at gmail.com.